0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to Browncroft. So glad you are here with us this morning. Grateful for everybody online as well. Thank you for joining us. Um, I just hope my voice makes it through after worship this morning. Holy cow. Oh my goodness. I was singing. Oh oh, yeah. That was, my voice is a little bit, I'm a little verklempt over here. It's great. Um, So great to see you all. I'm going to start off with a little something fun this morning. Okay. A little something fun. Get ready to raise your hands you might need to raise your hand on this one uh let's see how many people here have ever asked god what in the world do you want from my life anybody any, wow, I see lots of hands. Yeah, a lot of hands. Okay, how about anybody right now that's asking that question of God? What in the world do you want in my life? Oh, yeah, a lot of hands there in that one, too. That's beautiful. That's good. You're in the right place this morning, then, all right? Because we're going to be talking about the will of God for our lives out of Acts. We're in this middle of this series in Acts. But I don't know, some of you may have grown up around the church. I did. I grew up around the church. And this phrase, will of God, was used all the time. And I kind of thought it was was like kale um you know it's good for you but you really are not going to have a lot of fun that was my that was the way that I envisioned the will of God when I heard people talk about the will of God like okay fine it's good for me fine I'll do it but it's not going to be fun what I've come to discover over time is that God's will is actually more like an adventure Now, I don't mean, when I say adventure, I got to kind of qualify that a little bit. I don't mean like a video game adventure where you're nice and comfy sitting on the couch and you get to like turn turn it on and off anytime you want. What I mean, there's a lot of highs. There's a lot of lows. There's pain. There's talking with people that you don't want to talk to. There's learning to love people you don't want to learn to love. There's all sorts of places that you end up going that you never thought you would go. There's people that you interact with that you never thought you would interact with. And yet, in the middle of it all, available to us is a joy that we would never get to experience if we live life on our own terms. So that's what we're going to be talking about as we enter into this passage this morning. I love this quote by Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God. One of the all-time greats, in my opinion, as far as books to read if you're trying to discern God's will for your life. He says this, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. When you distill all of that book down into one sentence, that's what it is. Watch around you, To see where God is working and join him in his work. That's God's will for us. I I kind of phrase it a different way just because, not that Henry's quote wasn't great, I just wanted to put a, a John spin on it. So here's here's my one point for this morning. Don't have 15, just have one. It's this: God is already working, and he wants you to join him. God's already working. Sometimes we get so like antsy and anxious and, "Oh no, what will happen if I don't do X or I don't do Y? Guess what? God's already at work. OK? He's, he's been at work way before you were born, and he's going to continue to be at work way after you die. What he wants from us is to join him in the work that he's already doing. We're going to look at that from the life of Paul and his companions in this passage. Now before we get into it, this is Paul's second missionary journey that we're, we're looking at this morning. And Paul has been on a trip with Barnabas already. And so he decides to revisit some of the churches that he founded. But Barnabas and him have a big breakup. There's a whole sermon that could be done on that one. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, but then he decides, I'll bring Silas with me. So he brings Silas with him, and he goes on this second journey, visiting some of the places. In the meantime, he has an idea of what he's gonna do, but as we will find out, God's plan for him is actually different than what he thought he was going to be doing. So that's the adventure that Paul is on, and that's the adventure that we're on alongside of him this morning. So let's start Acts 16, if you're following around in your Bibles or on your version. Um, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to start. We're going to read eventually 1 through 18, but there's four little vignettes here and four little truths that we can pack about God's will by looking at these, this passage together. Verses 1 to 5 is where we're going to start. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, we're going to discover that Luke uses a lot of people and places as he's describing things in the book of Acts. And if we don't know the places, it's difficult for us to kind of get a sense of it. So I have maps because I'm a visual guy. So we're going to have maps this morning that we're going to look at together. And here is where Paul starts in Antioch. That's where he begins the journey. And he goes over here to Lystra. And this is one of the places that he's already been. When he was there with Barnabas, he had, oh, I'm going to say the highest of highs and the lowest of lows kind of experience. They healed somebody. It, got, it was so amazing that the whole town wanted to worship him and Barnabas. Uh, they wouldn't let him. So they decided to stone Paul and Barnabas, or at least Paul, and left him for dead outside of the city gates. He comes back to life. Pretty amazing story. Paul, for some reason, decides, I'm going to go back to that place. So there he is. There's Paul in Lystra, and the first thing he he does as he's picking up for where God's at work is he goes, what's happening now at this place where I've been? And he notices God at work in the life of a young man named Timothy. He spots him, and he goes, whoa, God's at work in this kid's life. Now, here's the thing about Timothy. He has a Greek dad and he has a jewish mom so he is jewish by birth but he also has this greek influence he probably has never had a man in his life who has taught him about the faith his mom and grandmother we find out in second timothy are wonderful faith-filled women it's amazing to have faith-filled women in your life but timothy may not have ever had a man just come alongside him in, in his faith before And Paul shows up and he sees God at work. Now, he probably is observing Timothy over a long period of time here because Paul has to build trust with Timothy and Timothy has to prove that he's teachable. And how do I know that? Well, because the middle of this passage that we just read says Paul circumcised Timothy and brings him along the journey with him. Okay, Um, let's call this out if I was Timothy in this moment, um, I think I'm referring back to what Paul just went through with this council that Rob talked about last week. He talked about this council, and he says, you know, if you're Gentile, you don't need to be circumcised. That's okay. That's cool. I would be saying, Paul, are you sure that you need to do this? Because I really don't want to do this. And Paul's like, trust me. And why? It's, pro- it's not because he needs to be a Christian here, it's because he's trying to prepare someone for ministry to a people that he doesn't want the message to get all confused. And so he's like, I don't want to worry about a different message. Do this, and that way we'll, we'll be able just to make Jesus the main focus of our, our, our time together. So Paul needs to build trust, mentors need to build trust, and the people who are learning underneath a mentor need to be teachable. If I were to ask me, sometimes people ask me within the church, I'll get in conversations, and people will ask me, John, what do you think the biggest opportunity for Browncroft is? It might not exactly come say it in that way, but one way or another. I would say this passage right here that we're looking at this morning. This, because I have observed so many people here who have walked with Jesus for a long time, And God has shown you so much truth in your life. God has worked in you and done amazing things in you. And now I think there's also people within this church who God is doing amazing things in them, but they just need someone to guide them on the journey. They need someone to show them what it's like to walk with Jesus and to to walk alongside them for a while. Someone to pass the baton to them and say, this is yours now walk with me, and I'll train you how to do this. That's an amazing opportunity, and I think that's a beautiful thing that God could do within the context of our church. But beware, this might change your life. (laughs) I remember when I first started, like, leading a teen Bible study, I thought, okay, this is fine. But then that one hour became my favorite hour of the week, And then I thought, well, maybe this ministry thing isn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I'll give this two years. Two years turns into 20-some years. I'm sitting up in front of you right now, and I never thought it was possible. So beware. Beware once you start investing in people. God is working in the next generation already. He's working. Who are you going to bring on the journey with you? That's my question. Who are you going to bring on the journey Okay, let's go on to verses 6 to 10 now. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, all these places, this is I'm doing pretty good pronouncing them, by the way. Um, But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, this begs another map. All right, because there's, so there's so many words in there. It's like we went from Wegmans to Walmart to Aldi's to Tops to whatever. Here, let's look at a map again just so we get what we're talking about here. So they start off in Lystra, and they're going They're Paul's probably intending to go to Ephesus at this point. So he's probably thinking, I'm going to go down to Asia. That's where Ephesus is. He's probably thinking that's a major city, but the Spirit of God blocks him. Now, we don't know why or how. That's a mystery, but I kind of like that, actually, because the Spirit of God can block us any number of ways, circumstances, illnesses, um, people that come in, we come in contact with that are like, no, you can't do this. And sometimes the Spirit blots us. He, he can use many different ways. But then he says, okay, Paul being hard-headed says, well, I'm going to, then I'll go north. If I can't go south, I'll go north. I'll go to Bithynia, which is to the north. And the Spirit, again, blocks him from going there. Anybody ever been blocked from doing something that you felt like you were planning on doing before? Yeah, I see some nods. (laughs) And sometimes that block is actually a gift from God to us. It's important to sit in that. And so paul then goes from there well where god are you asking me to go and troas is the place that he ends up going now we might not understand from our perspective we don't have a maps in our minds but troas is at the far end of the jewish world the the eastern civilization it's before you get last stop before europe so he is going to troas I discovered this. It's like 450 miles from Lystra to Troas. Now, imagine walking from here to Portland, Maine. That's the distance it is from Lystra to Troas. Now, imagine doing that not on paved roads and with sandals. How long is that going to take you, right, (laughs) to get there? In the entire way, you got to think what's going on inside of Paul's mind at this point. God, why are you, why did you block me? I don't get it. What do you have next? It doesn't make any sense. I was going to Ephesus. That's a good place to do ministry. Lord, I was going to go to the north too, and you wouldn't let me go there. Why Troas? And his companions have got to be thinking the same thing, like Silas and Timothy. Like, what in the world are we joining this guy for? He doesn't even know where he's going. Like, we're going all the way to Troas, and there's got to be a lot of doubt creeping in during this time. But one of the things that you notice in this passage, verse 10, is one of the most key verses that you don't really, never gets pointed out. It's a very interesting verse because it says, It goes from talking about how they did stuff to how we did things together. All of a sudden it says um, in verse 10, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. What happened? Luke joined him. Luke joined Paul, Silas, and Timothy right there in Troas. The person who wrote Acts was Luke. The person who wrote the gospel of Luke was Luke. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a trick question. That was legit. He would not have joined them if they didn't go to Troas. Probably he, he was serving as Paul's physician at this point because Luke was a physician. So he's probably serving with, as Luke's physician and joining them on this trip. Amazing, God showed up. You know, sometimes God calls us to places, God's already working in places and he wants us to go to a place where he's already working. Sometimes that's a different continent. Sometimes that's across our yard. Um, I was reviewing this sermon in my mind all week because that's one of the hazards of being a pastor is you got to like preach it after you live it, right? And so, like, I'm thinking about these things, and I'm power washing my garage on Friday, because it's that seasonal thing of, like, getting all the salt out of my garage. It, it feels, like, very cathartic for me, all the salt buildup and everything. It's like, I hope that spring will get here if I power wash my garage. So, I do. I, I, I you know, power wash the whole thing out. And uh, I was doing that. It's a rite of passage, and um Then as I was power washing debris all over my bald head and stuff like that, I noticed that my neighbor just got home. And she just lost her husband uh, last year. And she pulled into the driveway, but she wasn't like making eye contact or anything. And so I felt kind of weird. And it's like, do I have a conversation? Don't I have a conversation? And I'm like, Fine, I'll put down the power washer. So I, I just make my way over toward her. And I'm like, hey, what's happening? And, uh, and we got into this conversation. And she was sharing about the process of grief in her life. And I was just identifying with her. And it was evident you know, God's already been doing some things underneath the surface of her life and even some of the things that he's teaching her during this season of loss and pain. And we must have talked for a half hour and I realized at the end of it, my goodness, there's such joy in following God where he's calling you, even if that's across the yard from you. (laughs) Even if it's just, I'm going to take a few steps and engage someone who lives right next to me. Sometimes the place is next door. Sometimes it's really far away. But God is working in unexpected places. The question is, will you join him? No matter where that unexpected place is. Let's go on to verses 11 to 15. It says this. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis... the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Okay, one more map for you over here. Let's look at where they went. So they went from Troas to Semotres, which is this island there, And then they went to Philippi. Just a two-day journey across the Aegean Sea. And the gospel now is going from the Middle East all the way to Europe for the first time. Paul had one idea in his mind of where he was going to take the gospel. God said, no, I'm actually going to one-up you. I'm actually going to do something that you never expected through this trip of yours. And I'm going to take the gospel to a totally different continent. So while they're there Paul's initial thing that he always did when he's on these missionary journeys is he goes to the synagogue. You notice that Paul doesn't go to the synagogue in this passage. Why? That's because in order according to Jewish law you had to have 10 Jewish men in the city in order for there to be a synagogue. If there were less than 10, you couldn't have a synagogue. So what this is telling us about the city of philippi is there are less than 10 jewish men in this whole city the fact is hardly anybody followed the god of abraham isaac and jacob in this city but paul then makes a shift he goes well why don't i go to a place where people gather for prayer i'll check that out and he does he goes down to the river where he meets this woman called lydia Now, Lydia is described in this passage as someone who was a dealer in purple cloth. What does that mean? Did she work at Joanne Fabrics, perhaps? Something like that? Um, No. Actually, what that means is she was part of the upper echelon of society. Because the only people that could deal in purple cloth, the only people that could wear purple cloth were the elites. No one else could wear purple. Just the, the highest of the high could wear purple. So Lydia is a person who deals purple cloths. She's the equivalent of a social media influencer combined with a fashion designer, combined with a CEO. I mean, she's got it all. So she is the one that Paul goes up to and is just having a conversation with. You want to hear about Jesus? And she seems open to it. And I love what the passage says. God opened her heart. Because most of the time when this stuff happens, it's not us that's so eloquent and, and just so amazing. It's God already at work in people's hearts. You know, I used to work uh, with college students said that many times. And one of the favorite things that that I would do, we would do these spring break trips to Panama City Beach, Florida and Party Central, right? But we go down with a bunch of students and there'd be a bunch of Christian students down there who we have worship times, teaching times, fun times, then also times where we go out on the beach and engage other college students just in spiritual conversations and things like that. Um, One year, we were down there, and one of the girls that joined us was from China. She joined our our trip, and she didn't know anything about Jesus, really, a ton about Jesus, Uh, but she wanted to go with us, and she made it clear I'm not a Christian on the front end. We're like, cool, join us. That'd be awesome. So, she's discovering more and more about Jesus over the first few days interacting with a lot of the students who were down there she would actually go out with students talking to other students on the beach just about spiritual conversations and things and I think it was the fourth day in this girl let's call her Julie just for the sake of our time here because she was from China Um, so let's call her Julie Um, she said to me Uh, John would you go out with me today And I was like sure let's go so we headed out to the beach and and we were kind of not really no one really wanted to engage or talk too deeply so um, I was like okay well that's that happens sometimes and and she just kind of turned to me and started asking me some questions and I said well do you want to go and we could actually like talk about some of the questions that we're talking about with other people and she said yeah so we sat down on the beach, and I started asking her the questions that we were talking about with other people. And as I'm tracking with her, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I think God is working in this girl's life. And by the end, I was like, um, Julie, do, do you want to trust Jesus right now? And she looked at me like, oh, duh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And she, she just turned in that moment and prayed And then we, and then she, we started walking down the beach and and every student that we came with that she met along the beach, she was like, I just became a Christian. I just became a Christian. (laughs) And she was just celebrating it. I was celebrating with her. And the beautiful thing is I did hardly anything. I just sat there with her in the midst of a time and had a conversation. God was doing the work. He was just allowing me to be alongside her. And he does that god is working in the hearts of people who are we going to point to jesus that's the question well let's end this in verse uh, 16 to 18 together goes on to say this once when we were going to the place of prayer we met a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Okay, so we have Lydia, who's the top 1%, and then we have this slave girl, who is the most marginalized of marginalized and this slave girl has people making money off of her she's possessed by an evil spirit she is she is as low as you can feel and some of us know what that kind of experience is as well Uh, to feel marginalized to feel alone to feel like i have nobody looking out for me that was controlling her um, was allowing her to prophesy something that was true she was following around Paul and Silas and going these men are servants of the most high God but she was doing it over and over and over again finally Paul just gets so annoyed I I love that the the passage is so clear for us I I don't know what he got annoyed at we aren't told I think he was probably just annoyed that she just kept on following him around. But is probably also annoyed that this woman, this young girl, was so abused as well. And was just absolutely taken advantage of. And seeing that day after day after day, he commanded the evil spirit to leave her and it left. So there's people, even in our lives as we think, this girl, just like Lydia ends up becoming part of the Philippian church, and that's a beautiful thing. No matter whether you're up here at the highest of highs or you're experiencing the lowest of lows, the church is a place where it all equals out. We're all part of this together. So, God is working in the margins. Will you help set people free? That's another question. Here's how Henry Blackaby kind of summarizes some of this stuff in that book that I told you about experiencing God. Here's another quote from it. If Christians around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, their life goals, and their aspirations, and begin responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, the world would be turned upside down. How do we know? Because that's what the first century Christians did and the world is still talking about it. I love that quote. How do we know? Because that's what the first century Christians did. Putting aside our own agendas, our own way of doing things and saying, God, your will is the best. I want to follow that, not my own selfish way of doing things. God drives these points home to me in weird ways sometimes and um recently we were in disney with my in-laws and i know you're gonna say oh i have the best in-laws john they're the best no my in-laws are the best it's fine i know you're i know you're great but mine are better that's okay um because my in-laws have been taking us to disney every couple of years since my kids were like this this big right so um so while we're at disney i'm I'm kind of thinking through, like, okay, like, you know, all the craziness of of the Disney experience. And one day, we're going from, we're in Epcot, and we're going from our ride to dinner that night. So, and dinner is a mile away from, from the ride that we're going to. So, I'm in Disney going like this, you know, the speed walk, behind everybody, and there's traffic jams. I like to imagine that I'm a Buffalo Bills running back in these moments and dodging and, and dipping and dodging everybody. And um, we get caught somewhere between Canada and England in Epcot. We get caught, and we're behind this dad and his son. And I can't get around them because everything's narrowed, but I, but I pick up this conversation that's happening. And the first words that I hear are from the son. And, And the son says, Dad, you don't have to cry. And I'm like, all of a sudden my ears are tuning in. And the dad says, Oh, bud, it's okay. I'm just sad that it's over. And I thought, oh so now i'm beside them as i'm walking and i'm kind of like trying not to be too obvious but i'm listening in no trying not to be the weirdo but i am a weirdo so um so i'm sitting next i'm I'm kind of next to them at this point and then the dad goes and then the son goes but dad you still don't have to cry and he's trying to comfort his dad right he's maybe six his dad's like mid-30s cool guy and the in and the in the dad just says to him i know bud but i just love spending time with you and it just is so sad that it's over and the conversation between those two kept on going and and part of me was like i i was in front of them by this point and i i was like do i turn around do i talk don't i um but it felt like such a sacred moment that these two were sharing I almost I didn't want to interrupt it but part of me did because part of me wanted to say like to the son you got a great dad he loves you and you don't get it yet but someday you will someday you will and, and I wanted to turn to the dad and I wanted to say to him yeah it does go by quick I was there, you know, my, my kids, one's in college now, one's a junior, and it went by really, really fast. Cherish every moment together that you have. I couldn't help but think that's God's heart for us, though. God isn't so much concerned about the destination with each of us. Sometimes in our society, we're really concerned about the destination. He's concerned about the journey and who we're with. He wants more than anything us to be with him by his side. That's what he wants from us. That's the heart of a perfect heavenly father. That's God's will for you, for me, that we'd be alongside of him. So let me just review those four questions today. And then we're going to respond in a time of worship. And you can do whatever, like respond in whatever way you want. You could sit and just be with God in this moment? Maybe you'll want to join along in song. It's up to you, whatever God is leading you to in this moment. But I wanna return to those four questions that we looked at today. God is working, he's inviting you to join him. God's working in the next generation. Who are you bringing along in the journey? God's working in unexpected places. Where will you go? God's working in the hearts of people, who will you point to Jesus? And God is working in the margins. Who can you help set free? Might not be all of those. It's probably not all of those. Could be just one. But I pray that this week our hearts would be attuned to God and his work in our lives. Where is it, God, that you have for me? What is it that you are calling me into? Let me just pray for us real quick. Lord, I thank you that you are a good, gracious, heavenly father, that your will will for us is to spend time with you, to be transformed by you, Lord, and that would impact the lives of those around us. So, Lord, in these moments, would you be speaking to us? Would we be attentive to your voice? Would you be leading us even as we seek you? And I pray in your name.